Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes. Today is Friday, January 20th, and we are in Jonah part four. So if you haven't seen everything we've done, uh, we have our church has a Facebook page. All the videos go up there. So if you want to watch Jonah's part one, two, and three to get caught up, you can do that. And uh, we're going to start out with a word of prayer, and then we will jump in and, believe it or not, finish the first chapter of Jonah. So let's pray. Lord, you are awesome. You are powerful. You are kind and merciful. God, you are long-suffering. You are patient. And Lord, uh, you are my friend, you are my king, you are my creator and my savior, and Lord, I am so grateful that you are in my life and that you hear my prayers. And God, uh, I am at best but dust. Uh, Lord, best is, is just terrible, and I'm so grateful, Lord, that uh, you are there to help me along with everything in my life. God, I want to ask that you'd please forgive me of any shortcomings and failures, any sins in my life, and, and help me, God, just to, just to have a right relationship with you tonight. I don't want anything getting in the way of me being able to be used by you. God, thank you that we have this building that we can meet in. Thank you that it's nice and warm. It keeps us out of the cold. God, thank you that we have extra chairs and tables, and uh, thank you, Lord, for the great turnout we have tonight as uh, we are uh, just, it's wonderful and encouraging to have to set up more tables and chairs because of the number of folks that want to come out and learn the Bible on a Friday night. Lord, that is so encouraging. I can only imagine how much you love to see that. There are so many things we could be doing on a Friday night, and, uh, and all these good folks come out to uh, learn the Word of God. Lord, we want to ask that you would please have your hand a blessing upon all the missionaries we support. Keep them safe. Provide everything they need. Help them to build churches and, and see folks saved and get them baptized and just increase your kingdom and spread the gospel. God, please help everyone that's here. I know several folks have had a great week. Others are going through struggles. And Lord, we just want to ask that you would help each one of us individually wherever we are. Please give us a soft heart. And if we hear you just tapping on our shoulder, Lord, help us to respond to the Holy Spirit and to do your will. And uh, God, please give us a good, fun time. Help us to laugh, help us to learn, and help us to be a little bit more like you than we were last week. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Wonderful. So because we have uh, several visitors here and it's a packed house, I want to make sure everyone understands at time get up and get another cup of coffee well i shouldn't have said that we're out of coffee i got the last cup get for lack of you know an adequate substitute a cup of tea get some brownies get whatever you want you know don't feel like you can't do that everyone knows where the bathroom is it's in the back by that wooden door make a right down that little hallway you'll see the door and other than that um, at any time, you can raise your hand and ask a question. You can argue with me about whatever I'm teaching. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys lots of questions. And uh, you can shout out an answer. You can raise your hand. Uh, but I try to get everyone involved because it helps keep us awake. 
All right, so we are in what I'm calling Jonah part four. These are the Bible verses that we're going to look up and read over written here in black. And there's a couple other notes there that we're going to touch on. And I don't think we're going to go over what's on the map, but it just makes, I don't know, it makes it look more official because we got a map hanging up there. So we're in Jonah chapter one, and we are in verse 13. We did not finish chapter one in the first three times we got together. For those of you that are regulars, that's not surprising. But tonight, I promised that we would get through five verses and finish chapter one. So the quick review is uh, Jonah is a prophet of God, and God wants him to go where? God wants him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of what country? Assyria, with an A. Very good. It is a uh, it is the world power uh, at the time. Assyria is at the kind of the zenith of their empire. Technically, that's not correct. They had a little downturn, but they're climbing back up. But they are the world power. And uh, how does Jonah feel about God telling him to go to Nineveh? Yeah, he doesn't want to go. Several reasons, and we can debate why, but we know that Jonah doesn't want to go. Now, Nineveh is northeast of Israel. Jonah, who starts somewhere in Galilee, ends up going southwest to Joppa, and then he gets on a boat, and he heads west to Tarshish. We don't know where that is. The Bible gives us some clues, but we know it's really far. And Jonah now gets on this boat, and they're headed away, and it seems, this is my belief, but again, it could be debated, it seems like Jonah is at peace with running from God. He's just fine with it. He doesn't care anymore. He is sleeping like a baby. And a storm comes up, and it's a violent one, and the mariners on board the ship are scared to death, and Jonah is just catching some Z's down in the hull, and he has been running for, from God for days. And this is where we pick it up in verse 13. So, well, let me give, let me give you one more point. So the captain and all the men on board, the storm comes, and they believe it's a supernatural storm. They are scared to death. They are professional mariners. And they are throwing all their goods overboard, hoping that the ship does not break apart. And in the middle of this, the captain leaves his post and decides to go down into the hull of the ship and check on one passenger and wake this guy up. And he says, hey, you need to get up and you need to, you need to pray to God. This is bad. We're all going to die. And... Uh, It seems like they all get up on the deck and they say, okay, we're going to figure out who the problem is. And they draw straws or they roll a dice 
they cast lots is what the Bible says. So they're leaving it up to chance because they believe God is involved. And who draws the short straw? Mac? Jonah does. And everyone looks at him as if drawing the straws was the word of God. It is settled. And they say, what have you done? Where are you from? What do you do from a, for a living? From what nation do you, uh, you know, come from? They want to know everything about this guy because he drew the short straw. And he said, I'm a Hebrew and I'm running from God and I'm the reason that we're all in trouble. And then they ask him, what do we do to calm the sea? They want to appease God. They don't know how to do it. And they're like, it's your God that's doing this. So you know what we got to do. And what does Jonah say? Yeah. Yes. yes. Pick me up. Throw me overboard. We're heading west. I'm supposed to go northeast. This needs to stop right now. So the way to do that is to throw me overboard. That's what he tells them. In verse 12, and he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. How many of the mariners thought that Jonah was going to say that? Yeah. I don't think any of them were expecting that answer. Oh, just throw me overboard. You guys, will it'll all work out. It'll be fine. So let's read from verse 13 to verse 17, and then we'll go from there. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right. So obviously, we're going to talk about verse 17 a little bit. But let's start in verse 13. The sailors tried to fix the problem a different way than what Jonah said to do. Why do you think that is? Very good. That's exactly why they did it. They didn't want to kill a man. Think about this. If they showed up in port, light one passenger and no explanation as to how he died, they could be in trouble. It would only take one of the sailors to turn on the rest of them and explain the situation, right? That's the problem. How We've all seen a movie with four bank robbers. They're like, all right, we got to get our story straight. You only need one weak link and the whole thing falls apart. And they're like, we can't just kill a guy because they're going to ask about it. And then what are we going to do? We're going to tell the authorities, oh, no, no, 
it's okay. He said to do it. That's not going to work. They don't want to kill a man. It is a reminder to us that the pagans will never understand God's solution. Pagans will never understand God's ways. Pagans will never understand God's book. The man of God, the prophet of God said, I got a solution. This will work immediately. It'll be great. You guys will be fine. Just throw me overboard in the most dangerous storm you've ever seen in your life. That's my plan. That's what Jonah's saying. And they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. So everybody grab an oar, and it says they rowed harder. Now, let's look at one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. The Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? In general, those that are lost consider God's ways to be foolishness. If you are talking to a family member or a friend, anybody in your life, and they have nothing to do with the ways of God, and they ask for your advice, and you give them a Bible verse because you know that's the answer and that's what's helped in your life, they look at you like you're crazy because it doesn't compute. Spiritual things don't make sense to the non-spiritual man. They're never going... How many of you have a friend that just... They don't go to church. They don't read the Bible. They're not a Christian. They've never had really anything to do with God. And they come to you and they quote a Bible verse and they're like, man, this is a great idea. You need to do this. You ever have that happen? No, none of us have. Because people that are lost, people that do not read the Bible, people that do not trust God, the things that this book says they think are crazy. But to the Christian, we're like, no, 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 this is where we go for answers. Yeah, yeah, I base my whole life on this book that's thousands of years old, written by over 40 guys in multiple languages over thousands of years. Oh, and these guys have never met each other. And they lived in different countries and spoke different languages. Base my whole life on. What does that sound like? It sounds like insanity. Unless you've tested what God says, then you're like, man, this guy bats a thousand. I'm just going to keep doing what he says. I don't care how crazy it is. I'm just going to keep doing it. All right. Verse 13. So the sailors ignore Jonah's answer. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. Instead of throwing him into the sea, they row harder. Okay. You ready for this? How many of us, when we're going through a hard time, we try harder?
It is natural that when a man is running out of money and he can't pay the bills and he's, he's telling his wife, don't go to the grocery store for a few more days because there's nothing there to pay the bill. Okay, don't do it. We're running out of money. It is natural for that man to go to his boss. And what does he ask his boss? Okay, in advance, what else? Okay, pay raise, what else? More hours, right? That's natural. A lot of times it's worthless, but that makes that's normal, right? Pragmatically speaking, that's natural. That is always us trying to work harder to do more. And I'm not saying don't pick up the overtime shift. I'm not saying that. If you're out of money, you should pick up the overtime shift. What I'm saying is you should go to God and ask for God's help. God, why am I in this trouble? God, what's going on here? I need your help. Please guide and direct me. Please bless me. Please show me what what I need to do here because obviously the way I'm doing it ain't working. So please, please help me. And again, I want to be on record. Take the overtime shift. Okay? Do not (laughs) just pray without the extra work. The point is we are supposed to do what we are capable of doing. But we are also supposed to rely on God. And we shouldn't do one without the other. We definitely should not ignore relying on God. Joe, what you got? Yeah. I think in this story here, one of the reasons besides the law. I don't, because they were pagans, mm-hmm. maybe they didn't really believe that he was the responsible one. They might, Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe. they turned to him. Now, how about this? This uh, For those of you listening at home, uh, Joe suggested that because they're pagans, maybe they didn't think Jonah was the one responsible for the storm. How about this? Can we say that for sure they didn't believe that throwing them overboard was going to do anything. So therefore, it's like, well, that was a stupid suggestion. We go, why don't you just go sit over there? We'll 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 row. We know what to do here. Nope, they didn't. Now, great segue. They didn't know anything about Jonah's God, but boy, are they gonna! In a couple of verses, we're going to see one of the most spectacular miracles in this book. Do you know now? Currently, I'm up to 11 miracles that I've counted in this book. And Jonah being swallowed by the fish is not even the biggest one. Okay, but we're going to go over these in a second. So the sailors, they ignore Jonah's answer. They try harder. Verse 14, the sailors realize they can't outrow the storm. In verse 14, that they're like, yep, that didn't work. So what do the sailors do? We're not there yet. Yeah. They cried out to God. Which God? The God of Jonah, the true God. 
Now, what happened when the storm first came up? What did all these pagans do? Mac, they prayed to their God. And it didn't work. And that's why they, they're like, all right, we got to figure out what the problem is. This isn't working. They find Jonah. He tells them it's my fault. It's my God. They draw the straws. He gets the short one. Then all of a sudden they're like, okay, we're now we're looking at you, buddy. So they cry out to the God of Jonah. They ask for mercy and they ask for immunity from prosecution for what they are about to do. We beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. What are they asking God to do? Yeah, to forgive them for when they throw this innocent man overboard and kill him. They're like, we don't want to be held guilty. So, what are they about to do? They are about to throw him over, specifically... What do they think they're about to do? Yes, they think they're about to murder this man. That's what they're thinking. Jonah is going to go willingly. We read that in verse 12. Now again, what does that story sound like? It is crazy. What's that, Nick? Christ. What did Christ do? He gave up his life so that everyone else can live, and he did it willingly. The crucifixion. In the crucifixion story, who is Jonah? Jonah is Jesus, the Christ. Who are the sailors? Okay, lots of lots of good ideas. I want to give you one more specific. No, 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 no. We're getting close. We're naming a lot of the characters in the story. Who? How about this? Boom, Pontius Pilate. In Matthew twenty-seven twenty-four. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. The pagans acknowledge that Jonah is a just person. We have no reason to kill him, and we want to be accountable for that. Okay, verse 15. As I said before, there are at least 11 miracles found in the book of Jonah. And I'm still counting as I'm going, so that number might change by the time we get to the end. Um, We just read the third one. Now, I did not stop up to this point for the first two miracles, but we're going to start pointing them out, you know, from this moment forward. So what were the first two miracles? Okay, we got the storm was number one. We're not there yet. That's coming. But keep that in your pocket, Joe, because you're going to holler that out in a minute and you're going to get a gold star. What's that? Yeah, drawn straws. Okay, so the lots. 
The lot fell upon Jonah. Who here thinks that was a coincidence? Yeah. The pagans didn't. Jonah didn't. Nobody did. We shouldn't either. Miracle one and two, the storm was supernatural. The lot fell on Jonah. Miracle number three. Now, this part is great. And I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here. And I'm going to take a little bit of liberty to explain this. So bear with me. Miracle three is that as soon as Jonah was thrown overboard, the storm ceased. And now listen to me, folks. Imagine what's going on here. When I say the storm ceased, instantly, it's calm. The storm didn't slowly calm down and the wind slowly tapered off. It stopped. And there is a message here that is so powerful for the Christian, and that is the moment we submit to God, we notice supernatural change in our attitude and our level of stress and our level of anxiety in our life. The moment we stop fighting God and submit, Boom! It is calm. And every Christian under the power of my voice has done that at least once in their life where they knew they were doing wrong. They were fighting God. They were pushing a stone uphill. God was putting pressure on them day and night. And finally, they gave up. And what an overwhelming peace comes upon us. Our burden is lifted away. And any Christian who has recognized their disobedience and did an about face and started marching in God's direction, they know what I'm talking about. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And as I was getting ready here, I was singing a hymn couple times over because I'm trying to remember the words because I haven't sang it in a while. And the name of the hymn is Wonderful Peace. <clears throat> peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever I pray in fathomless billows of love. There is a peace that you will get nowhere else in the world than when you know you are right with God and you are marching with him. Now, picture this. If you're the dramatic type, you can close your eyes and think, think of this as I explain the picture here. There is a storm surrounding the sailors. It is about to break the ship in pieces. Now, I don't know what type of storm is required to break a sailboat into pieces and just turn that wooden ship into splinters, but the mariners, these are professional seamen. They make their living sailing a boat across the sea. They said, we are all going to die. Our ship is about to be broken into pieces. They are at a point of panic, and they beg the God of heaven, who they don't even believe in, to spare their lives. 
Waves are crashing over the sides of the ship and they are taking on water. And they say themselves that they have never seen a storm this severe in their life. They are taking all of their goods and throwing them overboard. Everything of value, they are just throwing it into the sea, hoping it will lighten the ship enough so they don't die. And these sailors who have friends who have lost their lives at sea are currently thinking they are next and their thoughts are focused on their wives and their children that they will never see again. And in desperation, they pick up the prophet of God and they throw him overboard. And before he hits the water, calm. The sea is dead silent. There are no waves. There is no wind. No one is panicked. The clouds are gone. The sun is out. And while they are all standing still and breathless in shock, they hear Jonah's body splash into the calm sea. That is the picture of what just happened. The hand of God and his presence is so powerful that these pagans offer a sacrifice unto God and make vows. They are so overwhelmed at what just happened. Jonah said, throw me overboard and the seas will be calm. And they did it and they saw the result instantly and it was obvious to every man on the ship that this was the act of God. In verse 16, these sailors, these pagan sailors have a come to Jesus moment. We're getting there. Yep. So I know what a vow is. Anyone else know what a vow is? A vow. What's a vow? It is a promise, but it's more specific. Promise to who? It's a promise to God. Do you know that when we stand at the altar and we get married, we're not promising our spouse these things. We are promising God. That's why if you get married by a pastor that's worth his salt, he quotes some scripture that talks about the husband and the wife, and this is your job, and this is my job, and this is our job, and this is the picture of the family, and this is what God, this is the picture God painted, and this is how it all works. And we go over our vows. Now, I've been to plenty of you know, phony baloney, plastic banana, good time, rock and roll, Jesus nonsense weddings where they come up with all these stupid vows that have nothing to do with the Bible. And that's fine. I, I didn't marry him. Okay. But that's fine. But we miss the point. 
It's a promise to God. I am promising God that I am going to treat his daughter, my wife, a certain way. And then she promises God that she is going to treat God's son, me, a certain way. That's the whole idea. And God says, I'm glad to hear that because that's what I was expecting from you. So a vow is, it's serious. It's a promise to God. It's something we are never supposed to break. Now, these pagans made the same promise that I did when I was in a jail cell in Portland, Oregon. And that promise was, God, I will follow you the rest of my life. Just show me who you are. That's what I said. I knew there was a God. I didn't know who he was. And I got on my knees and I said, God, I will follow you the rest of my life. I don't want to do it my way anymore. Obviously, I can't run my own life. I'm going to do it your way. Just show me who you are and what you want me to do. I'm done. I give up. I'm on your side now. Take it away. I was introduced to Jesus just a couple weeks later. Preacher explained to me clearly who he was and how it all worked. Now, tell me these sailors didn't get saved. These sailors made more of a change in their lives than most Christians I know. Number one, they feared the Lord. They feared God. In your Bible, you should notice that the word Lord in verse 16, then the men feared the Lord. That word should be spelled with all capital letters. Is it not? Do you know that that has a specific meaning? The letter L is a large capital letters letter, and the letters O, R, and D are small capital letters. What that means is specifically Yahweh. That is the God of the Israelites. I can't write Hebrew, so I'm not going to try to write it for you, but God's name in Hebrew is four characters. Yod, Hed, Vav, Hed, which we transliterate, transliterate as Yahweh. The Latin equivalent is Jehovah. That is the God of the Israelites. That is specifying, we're not just praying to God, we are praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then they offered a sacrifice. Now, specifically, what was the sacrifice? I have no idea. I could only imagine. The important thing is that it was a recognition that Yahweh was now personally their God. Because again, it says, and offered a sacrifice unto the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord. They are making a decision that we are no longer trusting in these false little g pagan gods. It's not the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the ocean, and the God of whatever. That's not what we're trusting in now. 
They change their mind and they do an about face and they say, we are putting all our faith and our trust into the God of the guy we just threw overboard. His God, that's the one. And they made a sacrifice to that guy's God because they just saw what he did. And they were so impressed that they were ready to change their whole life. Then they made a vow. What's a vow? Promise to God. Okay, ready for this? What did the pagans promise God? Okay, it's a good idea. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. I think that's good, and I think that was probably part of it. Anyone else? Before I call on one of my kids, because we talked about this last Friday, so they know the answer already. Don't look for it in the Bible. We're extrapolating. Okay? We're not, we're not trying to find it written in the Bible. We're preaching now. Okay? <laughs> what did these pagans promise God? That they would follow him. Okay, what else are they going to do? Oh, did you just tell him the answer? Did he just tell you the answer? You guys are terrible. <laughs> Boom. What are they going to do, Wayne? They are going to give up their gods. Now, what's the problem with that? Where are their gods? Where are they right now? On a boat. Did they bring all their little trinkets and their little, you know, statues of their gods with them? No, where are they? They're at home. They're making a promise to God. God, as soon as I get home, we are cleaning house. We're piling up all this nonsense. We're setting it on fire, and we're following you. Going to get rid of all that junk. That's what they are promising God. Do you want to know what else they're promising God? We see this in other places in the Bible from other pagans. This is where we get this idea. In Acts chapter 16, go to Acts chapter 16. If you got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 16. Turn to, oh, let's say verse 27. I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story, and then we're going to go from there. So Paul and Silas, they were in prison. Acts chapter 16, verse 27, just put your finger there. We'll get there in one second. I'm going to give you the background. Paul and Silas are in prison. They got thrown in prison because there was this little girl following them around. I want to say it was Ephesus, but honestly, I don't remember, so don't quote me on that. And there was this little girl that was prophesying constantly and really bothering these guys. And Paul just said, you know, be gone. Okay, cast the demon out of her. We're done listening to this. And then all of a sudden, the two guys that own this little girl that was a slave, they, they're like, what do you mean you can't prophesy anymore? And she's like, yeah, they just said, you know, bada bing, and it's gone, and I can't do it. And they're like, well, we used you as a way to make money from the tourists by doing this special thing. So they get them, they throw them in jail, and Paul and Silas, they're in jail, and uh, it's around midnight, and all of a sudden, they are singing hymns together, and boom, there's an earthquake around midnight. Let's pick it up in verse 27. <clears throat> uh, after the, the earthquake, their chains fall off them. Okay, so they don't have, a, uh, they don't have 
shackles on them anymore. They just miraculously fall off. And in verse 27, and the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had uh, been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he in all his straight way. This pagan Roman guard when he saw the miracle of God that was so powerful and impossible to mistake, he came in trembling and said to the men that he knew, worship this God, tell me what I must do to be saved. And he told them about Jesus. And, they, and then this guy gets saved. Then what does he do? Does he tell them, okay, you're free to go have a nice day? No. Where do they go next? To his house. And who gets saved at his house? Everybody. His family gets saved. The people that serve him get saved. Everybody that works there gets saved. The whole thing, everybody gets saved. And they all get baptized. What do you think part of this vow was? It wasn't just, God, when I go home, I'm going to get rid of all those idols. We're only serving you now. It was, and on top of that, you got, I'm going to tell everybody, my whole family's getting saved. We are all turning and following you. I'm going to tell everybody what happened here today and that you are the true God and we're going your way from now on. Now, I can't find it yet, but I am convinced that these fellas from Tarshish go back to Tarshish and something happens there. God starts using these guys. I haven't found a connection anywhere in the Bible. I'm about to make one up. Carlos, you got a question. Yep. There should be a ripple effect. Okay, let's go to one more place. Go to Luke chapter 15, verse 10. You're going to want to see this because this is one of those verses that's kind of an outlier, and it's the only place in the Bible that it's mentioned, and you want to see this just because it's neat. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. And then we'll be back in Jonah. Yeah, we already read that. We're done with Acts. Yep. Okay. Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So just one sinner gets saved, and what happens? There is a party. And who's rejoicing? No. Read the verse. Does it say the angels are rejoicing? Nope. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. It's not the angels that are rejoicing. Who's rejoicing? Jesus. Jesus is up in heaven 
and he rejoices every time someone gets saved. I don't think the angels get it. Jesus understands what we go through. He understands our struggles. He was tempted in every way as we were, but he sinned not. The angels are not that way. And whenever someone gets saved, Jesus runs around and gives high fives to all the angels and he's celebrating. I love that. All right, let's get back to Jonah. Verse 17. We got to get done with chapter one, otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. Last verse of the chapter. And this one's so easy to explain, we can just skip this verse and go right on to chapter two. Okay, verse 17, this will be the majority of the discussion for the remainder of the evening. Miracle number five. God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God had the fish at the right time in the right place. Clearly a supernatural hand of God miracle. I don't think any of us think this was coincidence again. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick straw poll by a show of hands. Does anyone have a problem with this part of the story? Nobody? Got one? It's okay. That, that the idea that this sea creature swallowed a man after they threw him over the boat. Got a. <laughs> yeah. So, so the sailors pick up Jonah, they throw him over the board, and the, everything stops. The sun comes out, and they're like, This is great. Splash. We're sacrificing to God. We're making vows. We're changing our lives. What? It, where did? Wait a minute. Did? Yeah. <laughs> and this giant creature swallows him up and boop right under the water. We're like, really? That is the stuff of cartoons. Okay. That okay. Did anyone here see the unedited director's cut of Mary Poppins? You know Mary Poppins with uh, Dick Van Dyke dancing with the penguins and Julie Andrews. As a... So at the end, Mary Poppins holds up her umbrella and she starts to float away. Well, in the director's cut, which they, you know, were glad they changed, right as she's gaining some altitude, a jet goes past her and sucks her up into the engine and spits out confetti out of the back of it. <laughs> it was dark. <clears throat> but that's what's happening here with Jonah. They throw him over and everyone's excited and the storm's gone. And we God's happy and we're, we're changing our lives. And wait, what's that in the water? That's big. Hey, it's going right for the... Oh, he's gone. That was a dark ending to a chapter. All right, so, yeah. Now, here's the idea, and this is really what it comes down to. I have no problem with the idea that God saved millions and millions of Jews 
from the largest army, most powerful army in the history of the world by having them walk across the Red Sea on dry land with water on the left hand and the right hand side. The Bible says the water was as a wall onto them. That means that it was like an aquarium. They're walking on dry land. There's a wall of water and the little kids are standing there looking at the fish swimming past them. And then Pharaoh and his army go in behind them, closes up the ocean, drowns and kills the most powerful army of the time. The Jews, who were slaves for 400 years, millions of them, mostly women and children, none of them have military training, just defeated the most powerful army in the world. The whole idea of this story, one of the ideas, is that God is a God of miracles. And we should expect miracles in our lives. We should pray for big miracles to happen in the lives of our friends and our family, in the lives of our community and our church, and we should expect them to happen. Anyone want to know why big miracles don't happen as often as we'd like? You have not because you ask not. There's a story of a bunch of farmers that were just losing everything because of the drought. Preacher says, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Everybody come to church this evening. Dozen farmers all show up. They're going to pray for rain because they need God to bring something so they don't all lose their crops and lose their homes. They're done with the prayer meeting. They're walking back to their car. One guy, what does he take out? Wash? An umbrella. And everyone looks at him funny. They're like, what's that for? He said, we just came to a prayer meeting to pray for rain. Yeah, what? Am I the only one that thought it was going to rain? That's our problem as Christians. Do you know that a guy challenged me? A guy challenged me a while ago. I'm, and this is, this is dead serious. I heard this pastor. <clears throat> I was at a Bible conference. And this pastor, his church had grown just had grown a lot. They were blessed financially. He was blessed financially. You know, they were just doing great. And it was just one of those deals where it's like, man, God is really doing a miracle here. This is amazing. And uh, the pastor of the church that had this Bible conference asked him to come and to share some of his experience because people would want to see how, you know, he could be so successful. And he said, it was so easy. He said, God told me this thing, and it was so simple and so easy that I can't even believe I didn't think of it first. God told, and this, um, so the guy's up there and he says, God told me that none of you are praying for him to do great things in your life and in the life of your church and the life of your people. And he told me to start praying for all the blessings that he had for you that you never asked for. 
And he said, over the last 10 years, God gave them all to me. There were thousands of pastors sitting in that Bible conference around me. It was dead silent. And we all hated this guy. And a bunch of us looked at each other like, I, he ain't getting any more of my stuff. I'm changing my life. I am praying. We need to pray for big things. Let God tell you no. Pray for it. If God doesn't like it, he'll, he just won't give it to you. That's fine. God said no plenty of times to me. Doesn't stop me from asking. God is the God of miracles. And his miracles, hey, they could be as small as changing Coke to Pepsi. That's fine. But that's not what the Bible shows me. God shows me Red Sea miracles. He shows me Jonah and the fish miracles. He shows me Jesus raising from the dead miracles. That's what I need to pray for. Do you know that God wants to perform those miracles today? He wants to receive glory today as much as he did any other time. He's just saying, who shall I call and he, who shall go for me? All right, what was... I've been praying for big things for this church. I've been praying for big things for you. Specifically, if I know what's going on in your life and what you need and what you want, I pray for it. And I have seen big changes in the lives of you people here. And I will continue to do so. Who thought we weren't going to have room to fit everyone tonight? This is great. We're going to have to get a bigger place in a couple weeks if we keep going. Heaven forbid you all invite one person, we won't fit here anymore. <laughs> all right, what was the creature that swallowed Jonah? Okay, I like it. Fish, whale, all safe answers, very Bible-based answers. Okay, so understand there are many creatures that could do this, and by that I mean they live in the ocean and they are large enough to swallow a manhole. Okay, that's not a surprise. Now, there were also several creatures that we would now call dinosaurs that could easily do this. Okay, Leviathan is one that lived in the sea, talked about in the book of Job. Okay, now remember, what is the term that Jonah uses to describe what swallows him? Great fish. Okay, now, Please follow me for a second and understand. When Jonah says the great fish, that is defining anything that lives in the ocean. What does God call everything that flies in the heavens? Mac? Fowl. In the book of Genesis, God calls them all fowl. How does he define fowl? That which flies. So a hummingbird is fowl. Bats are fowl. Pterosaurs are fowl. So God has a different classification system than we do. So understand, God doesn't say, well, you know, a whale is a mammal and so is a dolphin. That, that, those are a classification system that Carls von Linnaeus came up with a long time ago. That has nothing to do with God's classification system. So I just want to put that in your brain that when we're talking about this, the two names of this creature that we hear about are fish and whale, and I have no problem with either of those. I just want you to understand that God does not paint us as clear of a picture as I think some people have in their mind. 
Okay, we know it was a sea creature and we know it was real large. Now, with that being said, let me give you two stories. February 18th, 1891. James Bartley, a whaler on Star of the East, that was the name of the whaling ship, near Falkland Islands, was lost chasing a sperm whale. The crew caught and killed the whale to find Bartley inside, unconscious and alive. He recovered in three weeks, resumed his duties, but his skin was bleached white like parchment. That is from uh, the journal Des Debats. It's French. Okay, an English sailor fell overboard and was swallowed by a fish. A day or two later, the fish was seen floating on the surface of the water and was taken ashore. When it was opened up, the sailors found their shipmate alive. He survived the experience, but his skin had turned a chalky white and remained so for the rest of his life. Uh, that account was written by Dr. Harry Rimmer. He wrote the book, The Harmony of Science and the Scripture. I own that book, and Dr. Rimmer interviewed the man who was swallowed by the fish, and that's how he learned of that experience. We know that this type of thing can happen. It probably doesn't happen often, but we've seen it happen in nature today. Now, I'm also okay with it being a supernatural event. I have no problem with that. Lots of things in this book are supernatural events. <clears throat> The foundation of our belief is a supernatural event. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's supernatural. That's nothing that we try to explain away through science and physical processes. We believe that that's the power of God overcoming nature. So a supernatural event <clears throat> surrounding Jonah is fine by me. If you want to believe it happened naturally, that's also fine by me. We can see both accounts taking place. I don't know what the creature was. There are a lot of details that I don't know. But we have a few minutes so we can get into a few more of these. Okay, Jonah chapter 2. And we're probably just going to get through verse 1. I think that'll be it. Ah, we'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll wait for, for next week, and we'll read the rest. So Jonah chapter 2, let's read the first two verses, and we'll try to get done. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Did the animal swallow Jonah whole? How do you know? But how he spit him up has nothing to do with how he swallowed him. Did he swallow Jonah whole? That's the answer. We don't know. Now, we know Jonah was swallowed alive because he calls on the Lord from inside the belly of the fish. That's not true. 
Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then Jonah mm -hmm. prayed unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. So you're saying he didn't wait three days to pray? We don't know. Doesn't it say that he waited three days to pray? No, we, if so, I don't believe so. Okay. What are you arguing on reading the Lord? Uh huh. So now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Okay. I agree. Okay, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I also agree. Okay, but we know that Jonah prayed after he was swallowed by the fish, but I don't take the word then to mean that he had to be in the fish for the three days and three nights prior to him praying. Well, and I have reasons for that. I agree, but we also know it's written, It God does not stick to timelines and sequential order in many of the books that he writes. Well, since Jonah prayed from inside the fish, mm -hmm. so it had to be day one, day two, or day three, or after. Okay, well, I'm not saying that he didn't pray from inside the fish. I believe he prayed from inside the fish. I'm saying I have trouble that he waited three days to pray. So he was fine being inside the fish for, for several now, but what we found is that we talked about that last week. Jonah was done with rebellion before he was before he was thrown into the ocean. Oh, I don't think he wanted to go to... I don't think he wanted to go to Nineveh at any time in this book because Jonah retains his bad attitude and it comes back many times. What I'm saying is, what I'm struggling with is that if I were swallowed by a marine animal, that I would wait in his belly for... 2.5 days prior to praying to God. Okay. If you want to argue that on the word then, that's fine. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying I can't say that he hung out in the whale's belly for three days and two nights, and then on the third night, he's like, all right, I guess I better pray. Get out of this thing. I get it. I get it. Okay, so my point was this. Did the animal swallow him whole? I don't know. Whether he was missing a few fingers because the creature chewed on him a few times before swallowing is unknown. I wouldn't have a problem with either of them because I believe something that almost none of you believe. And that is that Jonah died in that fish. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I'm saying that he prayed, then died. Okay, okay, okay. In the story, who does Jonah, who is he a type of? He's a type of Christ. And Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of the whale are representative of okay, the three days and the three nights in the tomb. We all with me? And what was the miracle of the crucifixion? It was the resurrection, right? Well, what is the prerequisite to a resurrection? A death. You can't get divorced till you get married, right? <laughs> it's a prerequisite. <clears throat> it was Christ coming back from the dead. It was a resurrection. I believe Jonah dies, and I believe Christ dies, and I believe Jonah describes what it was like inside the whale as the place Christ visits. Where does Christ visit during those three days and three nights? He goes to hell. And Jonah describes that as the inside of the whale. Well, we see it in a few places, but in verse 2, Jonah starts out describing the whale's belly and he calls it hell. Mm -hmm. So as far as the death, okay, the way that I see it happening is uh, we have swallowed, prayed, death, Three and three, resurrection. I see that Jonah gets swallowed by the whale. He's calling on God. He was defeated. Okay, now, <clears throat> imagine the level of fear and uncomfortability that Jonah was feeling. The fear when the creature approached him and opened its mouth. Immediately after being swallowed, Jonah would have been disoriented by the darkness. He would have closed his eyes to protect them from the acids in the creature's stomach that were burning him. Jonah would have taken a breath and he would have known where he was the odor would have been overwhelming and horrible. He would have been choking. I've cut open the insides of many animals and nothing inside there smells good. Jonah would have certainly thought 
I'm going to die. This is it. And I believe with his last breath, he speaks to God. He knows it's over. He's getting his punishment that he deserves. I'm going to die, and I'm calling on God. I believe he prayed. He prayed verses 2 through 9, and that was it. Now, again, I'm not asking you to believe this. I don't ask you guys to believe anything I teach. What do I tell you to do? Do your own homework. Okay? Read the Bible. Come up with a conclusion. I'm giving you what I see that God is painting us a picture of with this story. Again, I'm not going to ask you to ignore the word then. And if I'm wrong, that's a good place to start. But I do struggle that he didn't pray for three days and two and a half, <laughs> two and a half nights. He was stubborn. He was, stu he was stubborn. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, read for next week, Jonah chapter 2. We should get through the whole chapter because it is all lumped together. <clears throat> it's 10 verses. It shouldn't be hard to go through. And we will get through Jonah chapter 2 next week, and we'll definitely learn some neat things. Okay, with that being said, let me close with a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. And I need some volunteers to eat up a whole bunch of baked goods. Well, a whole bunch is a strong word. There's not much left, but we'd like someone to take seconds and thirds to get it done. Take one for the team. Lord, we love you. We are grateful we can get together and study the Bible. And uh, God, uh, what a wonderful story. God, there's so much we can learn. And the miracles that you perform in this book are just amazing. And God, I hope and pray that they would inspire us to pray big. Pray for big, amazing things from you. And uh, God, keep those prayers in the front of our mind. Help us to remember them through the day. Help us to go to you in prayer and trust in you to do something miraculous in our lives, in the lives of our family and our friends and in our community and in our church. God, please use us as your instrument to help people come to you and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Please use us to help people to learn the Bible and to bring comfort to their lives, to come to church and find a community that can be a blessing and a help God, we're just asking that you would help us to do your will instead of our own. And uh, Lord, I pray that whatever we learn tonight, we would, uh, we would take home and apply it to our lives. And God, we really just want to please you. We want to be more like you, and we want to please you. And, and God, I'm grateful for all these folks, again, that came out. I'm grateful for the discussions and the questions. And uh, man, I had fun tonight, Lord. Please give us a good weekend. We'll see you next Friday. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you guys are wonderful. Get some food.